Hello and welcome to Genderator. I'm your host, Jennifer Sanfilippo. In this episode, I'll be talking with Nick Everest about talent development, quotas, and leadership. Nick is a professor at the University at Buffalo School of Management. He has a wealth of experience in the private sector as a human resource management and organizational development professional. He has since developed a successful consulting business specializing in organizational development. Most importantly, he is one of my most valued and dear mentors. Nick is a bit shy, so I'm very appreciative of the fact that he stepped outside his comfort zone to join me on this podcast. Let's take a listen in. Welcome, Nick. Thank you very much, Jennifer. I'm so glad you're here today because you and I, as you know, have been talking quite a bit about uh, gender equity issues over the years, and we've had some great conversations. And your input, based on your experience, I find very uh, interesting to hear the history of where the uh, women and work have uh, come and where we are today. So one of the topics I was really interested in digging in on with you today is the quota system. As you may be familiar, California, starting January 1, um, implemented a law that requires, I believe, companies that are headquartered in California to commit to uh, putting um, women on their boards. So, you know, those quota systems can be um, tricky, and I'm interested in what your experience has been with quotas. Sure, I'm happy to share that. Uh, you, you, you're not in favour of quotas, are you? Well, I, I, I'll be honest. I read the blog that I wrote about quotas and how corporate hates having you know those kinds of mandatory regulations, and sometimes they actually uh, work against what um, what the intended purpose of a quota is trying to do. But I've been doing a lot of reading and research on uh, pipelines of women into executive management, into boardrooms, and I think I'm ready to start arguing with myself about what I originally said. So Okay. Uh, I think that you have to start where the system is, not where you'd like the system to be. So in the context in which you've written this blog, I thought it was a good place to start. It gets different conversations going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I take your point entirely about if, if you're the quota appointment, that that doesn't feel or look too good. Mm-hmm. But it's a place to start. It, it, it gets the wheel turning in a different direction. And this rang a bell with me. Uh, and I remembered that a couple of years ago, and I think you might have been involved in this, we had a session with some of our MBA students. And I'd spent some time, half an hour, doing a bit of research and we came across the fact that the uh, country with the least or the smallest gender gap in the world is, can you remember? Oh, no, I don't. Iceland. Iceland, yeah. And I was just interested because I went back and checked that and the uh, got to have one on the board compares with Iceland's uh, initiatives they took in 2008 and 2010, which said 40% of the board Mm -hmm. has to be uh, female and for, at least 40% has to be male. And when you, you look at the encapsulated history of how Iceland has become the country with the smallest gender gap in the world, mm-hmm. a lot of attention is paid to the wheel beginning to turn in a different direction mm-hmm. with quotas. Mm-hmm. Part of a bigger system, so there were economic issues, political issues, mm-hmm. health issues and so on. 
But the, the quotas, which is probably not the best name for it, by the way, mm-hmm. the quotas played a role in moving the thing forward quite, quite a bit mm. and is recognised as having been significant. I'll, uh, you, you also in your blog, uh, which you kindly sent me, thank you, uh, differentiate between quotas and targets, yeah. targets and goals. And I think that uh, words are fateful. So I think if, if you've got a target, that's different from you've got to fill a quota. Mm-hmm. It kind of thing, it sounds as if you're gonna you're gonna have to do this laborious, busy work of filling a, a quota mm-hmm. as opposed to having a target. Mm-hmm. And I'll just share one experience with you. Uh, the corporation I was working for at the time in the UK mm-hmm. decided it was going to become a better employer of women, and we did a number of things. I'd be happy to share with you, but one of them was to identify targets that we had, and these were targets at the five levels of senior management. What they were doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But there was how many we've got now, how many females we've got at each level now, mm-hmm. to which when you rounded it up came to about one or two. Mm-hmm. And then the question was, in five years' time, where do these numbers need to be if we're to meet our target? I can still remember when the presentation was made because we could all identify with these senior management grades because that, that, that's how we were recognized and, and compensated and you, you could feel the uh, the sense of realization pervade the room which is if we're to meet these targets then of the people sitting around this management table now this means within five years three of us won't be here so it was ambitious I'm not sure it's realistic but instead of moving us a step forward, it kind of moved us a step back. Mm-hmm. And what had been at best a kind of neutral acceptance of this as a company-wide initiative actually began to generate some muttering behind the hands and some hostility because it was considered to be uh, I don't know, a bit dramatic, but an attack on, on the people currently in those management positions. And that's really where you start to see the ambivalence form. You, you have a system where you want to have a more integrated uh, leadership team, an executive management team, but if you're looking at the time frame, you know, you may have people in leadership there who are in their 40s who, or in their 50s who have finally made it there. You may not be looking at a whole lot of attrition. It gets quite complicated if you want to integrate more women in leadership positions. That means that the people sitting there, where are they to go? Or are you going to increase how many people, let's use the boardroom, are you just going to increase your your number of board members and change your charter? I, I mean, that those are some complicated issues that people have to deal with. And I, I know there is one argument and I think that may be the argument that drove the, the new uh, board quota system in California is, well, you just need to deal with that then because it's been so out of balance for so many years. You, you, know, you figure that out. Yeah, and, and, and we've, what we've all heard about unanticipated consequences of an initiative. Mm-hmm. With these particular targets at this particular time, with this particular organizational context, including the culture and the history and the strategies and so on, these actually seem to be intended consequences, Mm -hmm. which is, I don't know, like turkeys voting for Thanksgiving. Mm 
So for, for, <laughs> to, 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 to be strongly in favour of these targets, you had to accept that you, you personally uh, might have some dislocation that wouldn't be welcomed. Mm-hmm. Now, smarter targets with a bit of a charm offensive up front explaining the why mm-hmm. and the economic benefits mm-hmm. of, a, of a more diverse uh, leadership team mm-hmm. would have ameliorated those effects. Mm-hmm. But when I look at the California thing, I think it's a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, d- d- does, does legislation anticipate needs and help drive them? Or, or does legislation capture things that are already in place and codify them? And, and I would imagine that there would be some bifurcation of opinion on this. I saw this as an initiative that's going to kick-start some things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about Iceland being the country with the least gender gap. Mm-hmm. And this, I got this from the World Economic Forum, and they... I think, look, identified the the top 121 countries Mm -hmm. in the world. Where where do you think the U.S. came? So if Iceland's number one, where do you think the U.S. came? Oh, gosh. I would say the U.S. has got to be pretty far down. Um, Top 100 countries, we're probably in the bottom 25%. That would be uh, unnecessarily pessimistic. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But I think in 2018 it was 51st. 51st. So and, and I think that the, the, the dimensions they look at is economic participation and opportunity, which, which would include pay and advancement, educational attainment, uh, health and survival, and, and finally political empowerment. And I'm sure that 2019 will see the political empowerment, which was 98th out of 121 increase as a result of the midterms. So, I mean, the, 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 there's a context for all these things. Which is interesting when, you, when you've got the privilege of being on a podcast with someone like you. When you're sitting around a management table and somebody says, and by the way, we're going to move from 1% to 40% in five years. You, you don't sort of stand back, zoom out and think about the political environment or societal change. Mm-hmm. You think, as everybody else would do, what does it mean for me? Mm-hmm. And, and so that did not help the cause. Mm-hmm. When I say cause, I was happy to support the principle of becoming a better employer of women because the economic argument is, would you knowingly, if you're in, in the US terms a football coach, would you knowingly ignore half the talent that you could bring into the club? You wouldn't. So, I mean, I was sort of intuitively and, and by my sort of big picture view of the world of work, strongly in favour of becoming a better employer of everybody, mm-hmm. and that obviously includes better employer of women. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it was handled. Mm-hmm. I don't think recognised the complexity of what we were dealing with. So were you there over the course of the those five years? Did you get to see a, a strategy implemented, and what happened? Have, have a guess. Do you think we had a strategy that was implemented? I am going to guess that there was um, a, a try that uh, was met with a lot of resistance. Yep, good. And uh, it fell apart. We did, so we declared some minor successes, a policy change here, a bit of flexibility there, and abandoned it. Mm-hmm. And we were no more a better employer of women, you know, other than plus or minus a couple of percent here and there, than we were at the beginning. And uh, there's an expression I've shared with you before, 
about we, we hadn't visited the other side of complexity. Mm-hmm. So we were looking for a how-to list, which included, for example, and you, 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 you will appreciate this as being wrong, mm-hmm. we, we gave facilities and, and some support for women's forums or a, ta- or a task force comprised of women looking at career advancement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hired, on a, I think, a two-year contract, a very, very impressive professor from a business school. And I had never been kind of inside the workings of a business school at that point. And she was sharp, articulate, resolute, strategic. <laughs> but it was what, 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 Sisyphus, who pushed, pushing the rock up the hill? Sisyphus? S- yes, Sisyphus. That's what, that's, that's what she had to do. And, and you, you'd, you'd talk to her about how it's going. And, and the best you could get was she was being met with politeness. Yeah. So she was appointed by the chief executive. I, I kind of had a role in being supportive of some of the things she was doing. Uh, but we didn't recognise how complicated the system we were operating was. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you think like a fish doesn't understand water. We, we didn't understand the complexity of our system. Mm-hmm. So if you added up the individual initiatives, they weren't coherent. They weren't linked to business strategy. There was no, why are we doing this case being made? Mm-hmm. The timescales, I thought, were kind of unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Um, we were trying to move everybody forward at once instead of working in the areas that were most promising and getting some successes under our belt there. So it was a kind of salutary lesson. So it's really interesting for me seeing many of the same issues coming back. And you, you, you wonder uh, the extent to which Organisations are better equipped now uh, to deal with this. I used to work in human resources, as you know. Mm-hmm. I would hope that, that human resource leaders in, in organisations, particularly the middle, middle size and, and large, do actually have strategies to improve the effectiveness of the organisation that embrace gender equity. I um, The one thing that worries me about those types of efforts and today's efforts, and I, I did reference it in that, in that blog article, is the, the ramifications that cannot be quantified. You know, it's sort of like the, 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 the collateral damage of um, culture, where now your organization went through that exercise, uh, and it, it uh, like you said, had minor successes, but didn't achieve what it, was, what it set out to achieve. Um, and was abandoned, yet what happens then in literally years to come anytime somebody brings up the potential of making some changes to create a more um, inclusive environment, a gender-inclusive environment, people are so sort of gun-shy, and I, I can, you, you, can just, you can just see the wincing, whether it's external or internal, so that people don't want to try anything new or you know we did that it didn't work um it's it's unrealistic it's over regulation it's regulatory overreach and sure sure and and you you've i've got, I've got a mental checklist in front of me now uh that's how resistance happens that's how resistance happens that's how resistance happens that's how resistance happens so you, you've heard it all before mm-hmm. if we were reorganizing now's not the time if, if we're looking to change our processes, we tried this three years ago and it didn't work, or we, 
we can't afford it or we don't have the capacity to do it and so on and so forth. But if you're really smart and you visit the place called the other side of complexity as opposed to what are the five things we need to do, if you really wallow in the messiness of organisations, you would anticipate where the resistance is going to come from. You'd head it off at the pass. You'd incorporate it in a, in a, in a clearly articulated strategy which people had an opportunity to make inputs to. You, you Instead of sweeping under the carpet the, I'm mixing my metaphors now, the behind the hands muttering about, well, this is never going to happen, is it? You make a virtue of putting difficult discussions on the table. Because if, if, if you're trying to shift the culture, I mean, the cliche that you often hear in, in, in this school as well, is culture eats strategy for breakfast. So did we have any part of the initiative that was understanding our culture, understand what the drivers are, understand what the cultural manifestation should be if we were in, in, a, in a revised and better form? No, we didn't do any of that. <laughs> And sometimes when I'm introducing my experience, I talk about the things I've done and there's a kind of list which sounds quite impressive. I say, say you don't misunderstand me. This isn't how smart I was. This is, I really wished I'd been smarter because we would have done things differently. I'll just give you one example. We invested, we invested in the, the, the woman from the business school. We invested in giving her a secretary. We invested in giving her a budget invested in giving her an office all those sorts of things what would have been a more impactful investment to show we were serious is it in a multi-billion dollar company spending I don't know half a million dollars over two years no what would have been really impactful is to take one of the high potential well-recognized up-and-coming male leaders and having him Lead, lead the charge, which doesn't mean he does it all, but he, he would be the person who was facilitating the change. Not only would you have had a different response, wow, this must be serious if, you know, Stephen's been put on this, mm -hmm. but it would also have the benefit of giving him excellent development. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want a challenge, if you want a multidimensional cha change leadership challenge, ask someone to make it a, a company that, that, that scores far more highly on gender equity. But we didn't, we didn't think of that. It was a kind of, will this be sufficient to nudge it forward? Yeah, probably. Let's give it a go. And, and I really enjoyed my time at the company. It was a great company to work for. I'm still in touch with people I worked with there 20, almost 25 years ago. Uh, but we, we didn't think it through. We didn't regard it as a, as a systemic change that was necessary we thought it was kind of a do a bit of this and a do a bit of that. But it's got to start somewhere. So I would hope that, that the California quota, and I do appreciate the, you know, <laughs> if you said I'm the quota on the podcast of someone who's foreign, <laughs> I'd get up and walk out now. So I, I, I understand the, 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 the intimation the, the word carries but it's it's a start so I immediately go past the one of those to what else what what's going on in organizations what's going on in the California legislature mm -hmm. because the, 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 this is not an employment issue it's a societal issue mm -hmm. it's an economic opportunity issue and by the way one one thing I meant to, to point out about the 
the Iceland's top and, and US is 51st, and I'm pleased to let you know the UK is 15th. <laughs> um, is that this measures the gap, not the absolute. So, so for example, you, you would find Rwanda fourth. I think it was fourth. Now, Rwanda has better economic opportunities than the US. Probably not. But what we're looking at is the gap, mm-hmm. not, not, not the relative levels. Right. It's the gap. Right. So um, one of the things I was thinking of as I was doing some uh, more reading on the STEM pipeline in particular uh, for women, and I thought the quota system for boards of directors in California, at least it will make people think more about those pipelines. And, you know, there are other places to look for talent and it will force people who are interested in making some change, they will Hopefully, it will act as a catalyst to have them seek different, yeah. different areas, yeah. different talent pools, different places yeah. where they can recruit. Sure, and, and what you've introduced there is, is a sort of subset of the, the other side of complexity, which is how long is all this going to take? Mm-hmm. And, and in, a, in a corporation where you're measured on a quarterly basis, I think in the UK we weren't quarterly, it was every six months, mm-hmm. When, when you, you have you met expectations for the last three months, talking pipelines, talking about reaching out down in, into not just high school, what's the one underneath that, middle school? Mm-hmm. Middle school to, here, to, yeah. to attract people yeah. re- requires a, a long-term strategy mm-hmm. that if, if you're patient will pay off. I mean, the long-term is just a collection of short-term, so while you're busying yourself mm-hmm. with doing what you can do now, uh, certainly invest in the pipeline, become well-known as a, a good employer mm-hmm. of, of people from all walks of life, from, from all ethnic backgrounds and so on. It's really asking organizations to, to do things differently. Like I think about um, the school in Japan that was knocking points off the, the female applicants to medical school. They actually had um, a, a, a mathematical like formula they used to um, knock percentage points off the female uh, applicant scores because they wanted to see more men come into the medical schools. And their response, well, the reason they did this, and they started doing this, I want to say, in after the results of the 2010 exams. So they implemented this this mathematical coefficient to change the scores in 2011. So they've been doing it for quite some time. And when asked about it, they said they were doing it because women would become doctors, then they'd take time off for uh, to have their children, and then, then the medical system would suffer because there would be less doctors. So what they pledged to do was look at the systems, the employment systems, the healthcare systems to start uh, thinking differently about how they're supporting women in the workplace rather than gaslighting these bright young women and, and these poor women who think that they didn't score high enough to get into medical school, um, who actually did, they had 
decided to think differently about how they're supporting women at work and women physicians. And so that's really, I see now what what this is asking people to do is think differently about your process. This is going to sound possibly silly. I've been thinking about this a lot, but when you think of a pipeline, what goes through a pipeline? Usually some type of liquid substance. And if if you want something that's not liquid, if you want a tree or boulders, they're not going to fit through a pipeline. You know, you, you have to go outside the pipeline to find uh, what you're looking for. Um, and different ideas and different talents and different skills that are really accretive to what you're trying to get accomplished in, in your organizations. Absolutely. And, and if you polled organizations as to what their priorities were in terms of the capabilities they needed to have, it would include things that are germane to this, like how, how do you engage employees? How do you find and retain top talent? How do you become innovative? So all, all those things which are accepted as business priorities when you're looking at the, the sort of operational side and, and the products and services, mm-hmm. you just apply the same criteria to the gender issue. Mm-hmm. How, how, how can we, in what ways might we become more innovative in terms of our hiring? In which ways might we become more innovative in terms of our retention? In which ways might we become more innovative? in in terms of um, progressing people who deserve to be progressed. Mm -hmm. I'm not not sure where this actually fits in, but it it occurred to me in giving some thought to this this session we were going to have. I worked for 30 years in, in corporations where there was never 10% of, of executive leadership female. I can think of one or two examples, but they are one or two examples. I then think how different the School of Management is, because when you look through the senior administrative staff, they're predominantly female. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what, what's interesting about that? And the next thought was, but they have things in common, the, the male-dominated executive teams in, in, in the sort of engineering field and, and the School of Management, which is you, you, you look at these people and see them as being highly competent, highly capable. And I think the other lesson that, that the, the early 90s initiative taught me was, was you have to pick your words carefully because what 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 was generated, and I can understand why this would be the case, was, was a sense that if you were a female, you were being held back. Not held back by lack of readiness, lack of capability. You were being held back because the system discriminates against you. And, and the phrase, and I, I think it's still current, but not so much as it was, was about the glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. So if you're female... And you and you're not in management. That's the glass ceiling. And I, I can't remember who it was, but I once heard someone say, the, "the the way to end discrimination is to be more discriminating in in terms of what capabilities you're looking for. Define flexibly, not rigidly, and certainly not not through a, a, a male telescope. But what what are we looking for? Who's got it?" And, and almost like the organizational equivalent of something which, which isn't new, but I, I smile every time I hear about it, 
how uh, big orchestras got themselves into a gender bind and got out of the gender bind by having blind uh, auditions. So the person banging away on the cello was sitting behind a screen. So the people who had to make the decision were basing those decisions on how, how sweet's the music. <laughs> they weren't basing it on, well, there's a lot of traveling here and you know, men are better equipped to travel and so on and so forth. So I'm not sure what the net of that is. It, 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 it's if 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 you had uh, a system that was based on merit, and you don't define things too rigidly in terms of requirements, uh, then you're going to be on your way to making better decisions. So instead of driving it off off the platform of how can we employ more women you drive it off a platform of how can we become better at making employment decisions mm -hmm. and guess what you, you don't need to be a genius to tell you if you did that in an unbiased way you you would find naturally the number of, of women flying through the pipeline into management positions would improve mm -hmm. And I think that's, again, where the California law comes, because to be able to do it in an unbiased way, that's, that's the key right there. So if, if, this, if, if you had us in an executive session, and when we've, we've got item four on the agenda, which is uh, SB 826, what, what are we going to do? We're going to say, where could we strengthen the team? What would be a really good appointment? So again, I take your point about if you think you're a quota, that, that sort of is inherently a bit demeaning. But why not take this opportunity to strengthen your board by having someone who is a thought leader in the field of customer service or innovation or something like that? It's an opportunity to do what you'd hope any organization would do with any senior talent issue, in fact, any talent issue, would, would be to make a really good decision. Because when it, whenever you hire somebody, you've improved the organization, you haven't changed it, or you've diminished it somehow. Mm -hmm. So you know, what, what's, the, what's the problem in having to, to hire somebody who, who's a, an excellent contributor going forward to the future of this organization? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I'd do. I mean, you, the quota has a connotation. You don't, you don't have to follow that connotation. Right, right. Well, at the end, it's about leadership and thinking clearly about what's in the best interest of the company. And it, it's almost um, churlish, childish to snap back at, at the invitation and the request to think differently, to strengthen <sighs> I I, uh, I can't remember what, what it was part of, but there was somebody who was doing a tour of Europe, finding things that were very very different to the U.S. Mm -hmm. That that was that was the point, and there, there was one factory where the workers you believe they whistled on the way to work because they so loved working there and there was such flexibility i mean it was it was touching never never mind sort of adversarial us versus them was it the seven doors in the 
Black Forest? Or? No, <laughs> no they, they, they were making a commodity. I think it was pencils, but they, they were a happy lot. And the other thing, which, which, which was my first exposure to, to the, the wonders that is Iceland, was there was a discussion amongst three or four Icelandic CEOs who were female. Mm-hmm. I sat there because I kind of I'm paid to think about work, which I do, and I was thinking I'd be privileged and honoured to work for any of them. Mm-hmm. So they, they they they've got the, the the ball rolling in absolutely the right direction with a systemic view. They they had a not a setback exactly, but it's not smooth sailing all the way. They've had issues to deal with, mm-hmm. but they, they've sort of struggled with it because mm-hmm. they recognise it's not a matter of being fair or being nice. It, it's a matter of making the most of the company, making the most of the country, mm-hmm. and, and it was kind of uplifting to watch. That must have been a great experience. I mean, it, it is sitting in your armchair being whisked around Europe, and seeing a glimpse of how things could be, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, some of the, the, the problems we've had. And, and yeah. that kind of takes us to the Me Too movement. So we are going to shift a little bit now. And I'm, I'm becoming increasingly fascinated by... The Pence Rule, which is what it is now coined. And I spoke about this in my first episode with Tom Schneider, the president of Pathfinder Bank, and he talked about um, some of the complexities that they face um, as far as uh, that that sort of gray area where you there are important meetings, important face-to-face interactions with with other team members and and leaders in your company um but if it's after hours if they're social events what the uh what the backlash is and mike pence the vice president of the united states had said on the campaign trail that he does not uh dine alone with a woman as a rule and if he's going to be dining with a woman he brings his wife in the the um backlash was that you know you're you're cutting off women from opportunity um, if you're trying to set a precedent here or you know people will follow that lead and think that that's okay whereas women who more and more need that uh, uh, exposure and FaceTime with uh, leaders and of course their clients and project opportunities um, they're at then at a disadvantage so as you know the Wall Street not the Wall Street Journal, I'm sorry, Bloomberg came out with an article saying that, you know, Wall Street's response to the hashtag MeToo movement was to essentially cut women out of these these um, interactions, whether it's mentoring opportunities um, and uh, face-to-face closed-door meetings that are supposed to be confidential, exchanging information, which will limit your opportunity for project work, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of uh, culture in an organization is almost impossible to uh, quantify, to put your finger on, because it's, it's now sort of how we do things here. It's not written in any policy, because it's discriminatory, of course, first and foremost. Um, but it's this fear and this protectionism that uh, some 
men, I think, are feeling during the aftermath of the major uh, 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 stories of, of Me Too and Time's Up. So um, I'm just interested in your thoughts on that because there are a lot of complexities. We had a, we had a guest come into one of our classes uh, to talk about diversity. And uh, she had been speaking to a couple of general counsels for major corporations. And they said the advice from the general counsel was never have a meeting on your own with a woman in a room with the door closed. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Uh, interesting as a, as a piece of advice. Interesting in terms of insurance piled upon insurance piled upon insurance. I mean, the, be the, the best insurance is don't do anything that you wouldn't want to appear on the front of the New York Times. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also had a thought about what this said about the chief executive's view of women. Mm -hmm. And, but I didn't offer that to the class because, I mean, this is for them to learn, for them to own their, their, their views. And, and somebody who wasn't the most, um, wasn't the strongest contributor in the debate got appropriately animated and she said, I've got to say I find this demeaning. What, what, what is it about me that anybody wouldn't trust? What, 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 what are you scared about? And, and she saw it in the, in the same way as I do, I guess. Which is a large step backwards in terms of the perceptions of people in organisations about their value to the organisation if they get treated in terms of the way you, 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 you've pointed out was described in that Bloomberg article. I mean, it, it's, it causes you to pause for thought. And I've navigated over 40 years of work, uh, have I have I seen things which people shouldn't have done? Yes. Should we have stopped everybody doing things which might lead to a problem that makes the company impossible to run? Mm -hmm. I, I also think, and I, I believe you and I have, have exchanged this before. That there's a pendulum that swung vigorously from boys' club, boys will be boys. I mean, we won't go, we won't go into it now, but um, as a mini case study, Uber yes. made a real mess. Yes, we know sexual harassment takes place, but you've got to understand this person's one of our top programmers, and, and it was run like a, aspects of it run like a boys' club. You, you and I have spoken before about a pendulum. Mm -hmm. And not so long ago, that pendulum was way, way over to my left, mm -hmm. which was companies where sexual harassment and discrimination was absolutely tolerated, enjoyed, part of the culture, and, and a, a pretty poor way to run a, a company. Now, it swung right the way over via things like Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer and so on and so forth. And and I was really interested to see the Bernie Sanders appearance on, on the Me Too hit list, uh, where there have been complaints within his campaign of harassment. 
which hadn't been addressed, he's the person where the buck stops. Mm -hmm. Therefore, surely he's out of the running for 2020. So without actually knowing, did he know about it? Was he involved? What actually was the harassment? The assumption was there's no smoke without fire, mm-hmm. must be guilty. His he's political career is screwed. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to um, one, of, one of my female colleagues here about this, and it was really interesting because you think you've been around the block a few times, you, you think you're open to diversity. But she described to me the harassment that comes with being looked at in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that's neither right nor wrong, but that was her definition, that was included in her definition of harassment. Mm-hmm. Can you legislate for how people look at each other I mean, my, my eyes aren't so good these days, so I probably tend to peer a bit. I'm peering because I can't see very well, not because I'm, <laughs> not because I'm peering, peering. <laughs> so I think there's going to be some correction where it, peop, people who offend are held accountable and companies don't do what Uber did for a long time, which was to tolerate and sweep sweep issues under the carpet because the person who was the perpetrator was was a good programmer. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that's more or less cleared up now. Mm -hmm. But but where where the pendulum ends up, I think we'll be in in a calmer place where the punishment fits the crime. And that might not be a politically expedient thing to say. But you can't go from zero to 100 miles an hour in, in three seconds and maintain that sort of pace. You, you you end up with sensitivity taken to the level of, we shouldn't have met in this room, Jennifer, because there aren't windows. Let me try and find a conference room, which wouldn't be as good or as private as this, mm-hmm. but just in case. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, would you mind uh, providing a transcript uh, that I can share with my partner? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take a little detour from this topic because you said something that reminded me of something I'd also been thinking about. And that is um, some people use the word legacy to describe this. So the, the Uber uh, decision to let that programmer stay on because he was the top programmer and they were forgiving his, um, his discrimination and his harassment because he was, you know, the golden child there. I, have been frustrated by some of the older gentlemen when I've been to banking um, events. Uh, I was at a particular lunch. It was an all-day meeting, so the meeting went through lunchtime. Presentations happened at lunchtime, so this wasn't even close to happy hour cocktails, um, and there were about 100 people in the room. And at the lunch table I was sitting at, Uh, one of the bankers started talking about his weekend and he pulled out his phone and I was just I was talking I there was a separate conversation that I was involved in but I I heard the first part of that conversation and then I saw the phone start to go around the table 
and the phone stopped at the man next to the to the only other woman at the table and went back around and it came by me to my right and stopped at the man so they didn't hand it to the women at the table and i come to find out later that what the the older gentleman was sending around the table at this business lunch was a picture of a nude woman um, from his weekend that he had uh, at some festival. And when I talked to another friend of mine uh, about it, he said something to the effect of, well, you know, that's, that's the old guard, that's the legacy, we just wait for those guys to retire, and that's how we deal with it. And I thought, well, I don't really think, I think you might want to rethink how you deal with that because that is demeaning and I believe it is a, a message that's sent to the women at the table that he doesn't think they belong there and uh, there's something very wrong with that and if you don't correct that kind of behavior no matter how old the person is um, and I understand how uncomfortable it is they all have a lot of respect for this person he'd been in that that community for so many years and you know led a successful bank for so many years yet you are demonstrating to the younger generations that that is okay so when the uber guy got this forgiveness because he's so smart you know there always seems to be an excuse either he's been here a long time he's going to retire soon and you know that's how they used to do things and we're just going to let him go quietly or here's a young person and he's you know the brainchild of all of this and we need to keep him so we have to forgive him his his you know illegal discretions you know so i just find that very frustrating that talk of sort of legacy and look the other way and let this just go we can just let this go can't we um so that was my soapbox detour yeah, and, and an interesting one too. Um, I don't think being older is an excuse or even an explanation for why uh, why your colleague did what he did in terms of the, the naked woman. I, I mean, there's kind of good behaviour and bad behaviour and it's well known that if you are found, is it in Thailand, importing drugs or messing around with drugs, you're going to be put to death. Mm -hmm. They they have an expectation there of of don't do it. And I I actually asked a Singaporean student, is is it true that if you spit your chewing gum out on the sidewalk, you you get arrested? He said, yeah, most places. So, you know, the, the, the climate in the US now is that what he did was inappropriate and I hope that somebody around the table and I understand the difficulty of a woman doing this mm-hmm. told him to knock it off mm-hmm. or yeah, this isn't the place or time I don't think it's it's limited to older people or older men I mean there was an, <laughs> there was an article in the, in the Atlantic magazine uh, two or three editions ago about I think it was entitled The Sex Recession. And and the relevance of that article to this conversation was, and I should hasten to add, this this area of life is unknown to me. They were talking about how Tinder operates and and what what, what sort of information is passed and what expectations are. So I think there's, there's cultural norms that, coming back to my pendulum analogy, have swung away from 
boys will be boys or he's, he's the CEO or he's a good programmer. Two, you know, we, we really don't tolerate this. <laughs> and I, I've had enough time at work to have a long arc view of how these things happen. And we didn't shirk the responsibility of dealing with bad behaviour, but there was an element in which if you were senior enough, it was tolerated. Mm-hmm. And, and that, if I was having my time again, <clears throat> I would do more about. And, and um, difficult, difficult to explain it to someone who hasn't been part of organisations. You know, I think this is what brings me back to the Pence rule, though. There are, I think that if an organization is very clear about what is acceptable and what is not, and, and because there's this talk of, well, people are f- afraid because, you know, this is such a politically correct time, I, I honestly think that that is nonsense. It's, there, are, there are appropriate ways to behave in the workplace. And if your organization can be very clear as to what that is, and it's across the board, whether you're a senior, you know, soon to be retiring, or you're a young phenom, or whoever you are, you're all held to a certain standard, then this uh, ambiguity about what is politically correct or what is considered inappropriate, all that gets cleared up. And it comes back down to what your leadership team looks like and how strong they are in their conviction and what is appropriate, what isn't for that organization. Well, the assumption behind the Pence rule, I think, is that you, if, if you take these precautions, you're not going to be falsely accused. I was thinking that if, if you organized your life on what are the long odds things that could happen to you that you want to avoid. You wouldn't live in a house with stairs. You, you, <laughs> you wouldn't live in a house with, with, with electrical appliances. You wouldn't ever go out if there was a risk of thunderstorms. You'd never get in your car and drive. And I'm, I'm sure there are some statistics, but the chances of being falsely accused, right. I think, are remote. Now... The other, the other thing I would distinguish between is, am I okay sitting in this room with you? Absolutely, because I trust you implicitly, and I know you, and I think you know me. The difference between that and somebody's been caught doing something, it's my job to fire them, then I would be a bit cautious because of the... How many, how many would this relate to in my previous experience? At one point, I was running HR for a site of 4,000 people. Did I trust 4,000? No, I trusted that day 3,999. 3, I was a bit wary of the woman that I needed to fire because she might be desperate to make a case. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in fact, there's a movie... That <laughs> Ironically featured, I think, Kevin Spacey. Oh, it might, it might have been... Oh, I know what it was. It was um, American Beauty. Yes, it was Kevin Spacey. And Kevin yes. Spacey says... Yes, that's right. <laughs> Kevin, or whatever the other guy's name was, uh, I'm rebutting your sexual advances here. 
<laughs> and I think if if you can't see your way to uh, two years worth of severance, we're going to have a real problem here. <laughs> but that that kind of came to mind because that illustrates the point. There was Kevin or whatever his name was dealing with someone who was in emotional distress who might try a last gasp effort to rescue something. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the 3,999 people, you have no reason to distrust them. If you you do, that's the thin end of a wedge. Whereas the article points out, just just as there seems to be some momentum behind cross-gender mentoring, for example, you're nixing that because that would be the, the optics would be wrong or there's the risk of a false accusation yeah. and one of, one of the nice things about being a, an assistant professor is, is you get to uh, share what you perceive as your wisdom without any accountability for actually implementing it <laughs> so sometimes I, I sort of pass uh, my, my, my lecture in advance through the filter of what would I make of all this if I was still a practicing HR executive? And I think the first thing I'd try and do is to make the case for why any attention at all should be paid to this. Because I think when you've got you talking to me, you, 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 you're kind of preaching to the choir, you're pushing against an open door, because I, I kind of start where you are, plus or minus di- different analogies or different experiences. So the first thing is, is why should we spend any time on this? And I think there's an economic argument to be made in terms of getting and keeping the best talent, having more innovation, having a better culture, relating better to the world outside the organisation. And then tackling it as you would a project, a a series of connected things which are where the interdependencies are recognised, such as our investment in STEM pipeline, uh, mentoring arrangements, uh, promotion of women to, to senior positions. And with each of those having some sense of what needs to be done first, what needs to be done second, measures as to how we're doing. I think what gets measured gets managed, so you need to put measures around all this. And then when you're doing this sort of transition, which is more, more of a transformation, I think. That's, that's a better word. When you're doing this transformation... The problem is you, 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 you've got to walk across the bridge while you're building it. Because if you want a clearly defined end state here, apart from some things such as no discrimination, no nude photographs passed around the lunch table, etc., it's difficult to define where this ends up. So you've got to keep engaging in what I call action learning. It's a bit like climbing a mountain. So you don't start at the bottom and finish at the top. You 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 You... Go, go through the foothills and you pitch your base camp number one here. And then you reassess what's the weather like, how, what have we learned, who's still with us, do, have we got enough supplies. Then you go to base camp two and you check in again. So it's not managing the thing just as a project with a Gantt chart. You need to break it up into bite-sized chunks and progress, pause, reflect, adapt. Progress, pause, reflect, adapt. But the, the key to doing that is that it, 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 it's a live issue. And, and this, this, as so many other things are, is, is a leadership issue. And there's a more powerful argument, I think, Jennifer, than it will keep you out of the headlines for bad reasons. I mean, that, that, that's a sort of very defensive posture to take. I think this doesn't really get any enthusiasm when it's you don't want to be falsely accused, do you? Far better is 
the, the motivation of purpose to be a hugely successful company uh, providing important products and services to, to the communities it serves. And a key part of that is, is to be a good employer and that will pay dividends. So I, I used to go in and see people whose support I was looking for and talk about retention of talent. If I was doing it again, I'd go in and say, would you be interested in the million and a half straight in the bottom line premium? Yeah, what, what have you got in mind? But it, it's kind of making the case. What, what's the argument for spending time on this? I think that's, that's pretty important. I fear people have lost sight of that. Yes, and I can understand why they've lost sight of it because it, it, it's kind of controversial. Mm-hmm. The Pence rule. SB 862, Don't like that. Do like this. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it attracts a level of attention. I don't, I don't do this uh, as a matter of routine, but from time to time, I'll go through a phase of saving New York Times articles that I want to read and enjoy better than, than the, the, the kind of 20 minutes I find myself operating in. And I look back on them, and, and there was one week where I think there were six articles that I kept were relevant to this issue, every one with a different angle. And those angles need to be assimilated into a coherent strategy for going forward that will help the business meet its overall goals. And that's what I think needs to happen, the, the, the platform for moving forward. And this is why I'm having these conversations podcast, the broadcast, giving people an opportunity to pause and actually speak honestly about what's happening. Yeah, well, here's, here's another bit of honesty. Uh, when, when my organization in the UK decided to become a better employer of women, we supported them in setting up a task force to review all sorts of policies and procedures. And there was over 20 members of this task force drawn from all parts of of the company. I mean, it was a big company. It was sort of at that time 75,000 people who worked there. And they had a little mini conference over a day and a half to explore the recommendations and, and so on. And they uh, wanted to, well, they didn't want to, we asked them to present to an executive their findings. Guess who that executive was? <laughs> but here's, here's the point of the story, which, which was an eye-opener for me. And I think it is germane to what we've been talking about. Uh, I still remember walking in the room at the hotel and for the first time in my working life, I was the only one, 25, 26 women and me. And it felt difficult. It felt awkward. You felt you were being scrutinised in a way that you wouldn't had it been the typical company task force, which would have been 25 men and perhaps one woman, mm-hmm. probably 26 men. And it's really interesting because at lunch, I'm not sure if I can say this or not, I didn't know how to join in the, the conversation about the server's got a nice ass. <laughs> I mean, I want to talk about soccer. <laughs> I want to talk about Arsenal's game. But they wanted to talk about their things. And, and it was, I, I, I'm sure this won't actually make the cut in your podcast, but it was an eye-opener for me feeling excluded mm-hmm. as opposed to included. And my, my sort of interest in this area increased significantly when the default position of get over yourself, it's only a nude woman, 
no, no longer holds. Because it's how, how would I have felt had they passed around a photograph of a nude man. But I, my, my empathy uh, meter registered a big increase that day when I found out what it was like to be the only one. Great story. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining me. It was a fascinating conversation. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Genderator. You're invited to leave comments and suggestions at genderator.com. That's Genderator with a J. I'm your host, Jennifer Sanfilippo, signing off until next time. Be well and take good care.